Oh, well, good morning, everyone. My name's Stephen, and I'm going to read from the Bible for you this morning uh, from Galatians chapter 6. And you can find that on page 1171 in the Bibles that you've been given this morning. And it's Galatians chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfil the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone, without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everyone. Very warm welcome. My name is Prash. I'm the senior minister. A warm welcome if you're new or uh, visiting us today. It's great to have you. Uh, welcome to those who are online as well. Um, before I, um, we, we spend some time reflecting on that passage of scripture, uh, just a little administrative uh, announcement. We are applying for a, an amendment to the Willoughby Land Sale Ordinance. The details are on the website. Uh, if you would like more details, you can speak to me or one of the wardens, Rob Cooper, or Alan Saxby, or Michelle Chase are all here today. So. Have a chat with them if you'd like more details about that. Well, today we uh, are spending our last week looking at the letter to the Galatians. This is um, actually the start of Advent in the Christian calendar. This is not an Advent sermon. Uh, Advent is a, a, a time when we reflect on not just the birth of Christ, but the promise of his return. Uh, and we will kind of launch into a Christmas Advent series Next week, Ed Happer, our student minister, will be preaching next week, so that'll be fantastic. And then Glenn Davies the week after, and myself the week prior to Christmas. But today, we finish our series on the letters of Galatians. Let me pray for us, and uh, then we can reflect on that passage of Scripture. Kind Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, and we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would speak to our hearts and minds this morning. 
pointing us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, uh, last week we left, left ourselves with this reflection on living by the Spirit, this idea that we're called to live by the Spirit. There was a, we, we essentially saw a, a battle between life by the flesh in Galatians, the end of Galatians chapter 5, and Paul calling us actually rather to choose to live by the Spirit, a life of the Spirit, to live a life vitalized by God's Holy Spirit. And so the question I think that is left over for us is what does that life of the Spirit look like? Now, there's a number of things it could look like, but spiritual victory, what does it look like? What does a life vitalized by God's Holy Spirit look like? If you were to ask that question uh, maybe 16, 1700 years ago in the midst of the Crusades, they might have said that life by the Spirit looks a bit like this, um, a kind of militarized um, militant vision of life by the Spirit. Sorry if you can't see it up the back. We are actually working on uh, additional monitors for the building, but otherwise maybe you can move into position to see it. That could be what people thought of as a victorious spiritual life. But of course, if you were to think about it now, you'd probably see it as something like, let me turn this clicker on, that. This is in fact... I mean, if you, if you look for an image to capture spiritual victory nowadays, this is the image that we get. Now, this image, I think, is highly reflective of our culture, which thinks about spirituality in very individualised terms. You know, spiritual victory is a, is a person standing on top of a mountain free, as close to God as possible, so to speak. And I think what we learn there, actually, is that both visions of spiritual victory, of a, a vitalised spiritual life, are, are visions that are highly impacted by our cultural space and time. What is, is interesting is then to ask that question of the Bible, and particularly of Paul's la, last section of this letter, and see what Paul would say a spiritually vitalised life is. And it comes out in verse 2, Galatians 6.2. He says, sorry, I think I'll do the slides, whoever's on ProPresenter today, just uh, so that you don't have to read my mind. Um, this is what Paul says, verse 2. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfil the law. Paul says what it looks like to be someone who lives by the Spirit, whose life is vitalised by the Holy Spirit, is someone who cares for other people. They carry each other's burdens. This is the last thing he has to say in his letter to the Galatians. He's been saying how important the gospel is. He said, you want to live in line of the gospel, you want to draw on the power of the Holy Spirit, and your life, if you do that, is to be someone who carries one another's burdens. You carry the burdens of other people. I think this is actually pretty extraordinary because what it's, it's a constant pattern actually in Scripture. And what God is saying is, if you love me, if you love me, you'll actually love other people. That's pretty extraordinary, isn't it? The outcome of loving God is to love other people. Uh, Jesus sums up the law. He says the, the law is these two things, love the Lord your God and love your neighbour as yourself. I think that's extraordinary because you'd expect a divine being to say, if you love me, you'll do things for me. But actually, in the scriptures, in the Bible, God's constant message is, if you love me, you'll actually love other people. That the sign of a spiritually vitalised life is carrying each other's burdens. I remember being 
a, a new assistant minister in my old parish. And, you know, there was this guy who was pretty down and out, and he'd often come and visit us on site during the week. He had not much else to do, and so we were there, and so he'd come and talk to us. And being a, a young assistant with less to do, I, I thought, this is great. This is a way of really caring for this guy. And we just have these long chats, you know, really on a sunny afternoon. We'd sit down in the courtyard and just be talking about life. And I thought, I'm really, I'm really supporting this guy. Anyway, one day I'm walking down the main street. It's a Friday morning. It's very busy. It was a hot November, like a real November, not like today. And um, I, see, I see him at a distance, about 100 metres away, and he's standing in front of like an office desk. Someone's put their, you know, their home office desk out on the verge for a collection. Uh, and he's standing there, and I think, what is Rodney doing? I come up and he says, I'm thinking of taking this. Now, this is about, about a kilometre from where he lives and I know what's coming next. <laughs> he says to me, can you help me carry it? And I think, okay, it's hot, this thing looks heavy and cumbersome and I've got lots to do, so okay, sure. So Rodney and I, we hobble down Liverpool Road for about a kilometre. Uh, it's very uncomfortable. You, just, you know those, those pieces of furniture where you just bang your legs the whole time? One kilometre of doing this, we get to his house, we get to his door. I know as I'm carrying it, he's not the desk kind of guy. Like, he's not going to use this piece of furniture. We get to the door. It doesn't even fit in the door. Rodney says, I'll leave it there, I'll work something out with it. I think I've just wasted 50 minutes of my life carrying this desk a kilometre from where it was and now it's probably going to get chucked in the bin anyway. But you know what? That's what he needed from me. He needed someone to share that burden with him. Carrying a burden from someone is actually meant to be costly. I think there's a temptation when we read six, uh, chapter 6, verse 2 here to think, oh yeah, carry each other's burdens. Yes, of course. No, the word burden is meant to, it, it, it means something here. When Paul says the spiritually vitalised person carries another person's burdens, that, that is not just like a co-curricular activity. That is not great in theory. It's actually hard in practice. It, it costs you time. It costs you financially. It costs you emotionally. That is what Paul is describing here when he says, carry each other's burdens. Now what's really interesting though in this passage is that's the general application to this passage but Paul actually chips it down so that it has a much sharper and more pointed application in this section. He chops it down so in verse 10 he'll say this, therefore as we have opportunity let us do good to all people especially especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So there's this general principle, what it looks like to live a spiritually vitalised life is to care for people, but he chips it down, he says, actually, even more specifically, there's an even greater priority to the family of believers, i.e. to the local church, to the people who are gathered with you. This group of people, Paul says to the Galatians, your church, you have a responsibility, if you want to live by the Spirit, to carry each other's burdens. Not just generically, but this very particular group of people. And then, if you, if you 
if you think Paul, maybe he's just kind of honing in because he's so disappointed with the Galatians that he's trying to sharpen their life. No, Paul is actually picking up a theme that runs through the New Testament and started with Jesus' own teaching. Because Jesus, in John 13, he washes the disciples' feet, if you remember this great moment in the upper room. It's a symbol of what, how he's going to serve them more profoundly on the cross. But he says this important word. He says, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. It's the same word, actually, in the bear, bear each other's burdens, bear one another's burdens, same word. Jesus, Paul's actually thinking about Jesus' own command to his disciples, love one another. He'll go on and pray, actually, in that upper room for God's people, that they'd be known for this very unique, burden-bearing love for one another. And in the New Testament, the New Testament writers will pick it up 47 different times, different commands based on this one another idea. Because the life of someone filled by the Spirit is someone who has a deep desire to bear the burdens of the family of believers, one another. That's actually the primary outworking of the spiritually vitalized life. A spiritually victorious person is not a crusader. They're not an individual on a hill. They're someone immersed in a group of people, loving, bearing the burdens of one another. Of one another. But interestingly, that's not as sharp as Paul's application goes because his application, his whole point stems from the very first example of this he gives, which is in verse 1, where he says this, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. See, Paul is saying bearing, your, bearing one another's burdens is not just a um, material burden that you're trying to bear. Your job is not just to make their life materially more comfortable, relationally more whole, as good as those things are. Your job is not just to ensure that there's food on their table, although that is part of it. It's actually something deeper and more profound. Your job is to bear their, their spiritual welfare in mind. Someone who's caught in sin you who live by the Spirit, in other words, you who are vitalized by the Spirit, you who have this spiritually victorious life, so to speak, who've chosen the way of the Spirit, you are someone who cares for their spiritual burdens as much as their material ones. Their spiritual burdens, their spiritual needs as much as their material needs, even more so, actually. It's worth just reflecting on that. Do we bear one another's burdens, like Paul is encouraging us to do. Do we do that? When Paul says, carry one another's burdens, as you reflect on your life, do you see that? Do you see the work of the Spirit transforming you so you like that? Now this is interesting because the, the sharpness of what Paul is saying here must challenge us. Do we carry our children's burdens? Yes, of course. Of course we do. But that's not what Paul's saying. Do we carry our parents' burdens? Yes, I think a lot of people do here. And that's good, honour your father and mother, says the Lord. I mean, and that doesn't change in the New Testament, right? But that's not what Paul's saying here. He says, especially the family of believers. Do we bear one another's burdens? And do we bear it beyond simply the material needs of one another? I, 
I think two things. First of all, you can't bear one another's burdens if you're not here. And we have live stream. Welcome to those who are watching us online. We will, we're kind of committed to the live stream, right? That's why we just don't have a Jimmy-rigged iPhone running here anymore, but we've invested in the hardware of a live stream for two reasons. One, because of the current health crisis, which may extend into who knows when, there'll be times when we can and can't meet in this building, either per individually or as a group, and so live stream offers us that opportunity. And two, live stream is a great opportunity for someone who's exploring the Christian faith but feels a bit scared about the idea of coming to a church yet and checking it out. It's a great entry door. We love it for that reason. But that's not, that's not, you can't bear one another's burdens when you're buried in your lounge room. You can't bear one another's burdens when you're not here. You can't say, I, I want to bear my brothers and sisters' burdens, but I can only be with them once a month. You can't bear someone's burdens like that. Secondly, to bear someone's burdens, as we've said, is not just meet their spiritual burdens. We need to, sorry, their physical burdens. We need to meet their spiritual burdens. I, I mean, I have a real sense we're very good at the first thing, the material burdens that people, people encounter in their life here. I'm not sure if we're very good at the second one, the spiritual one. I'm not sure if there might be a tendency to outsource that responsibility to the staff and the theologically trained, maybe the connect group leader at the most. But if you're in a connect group and someone doesn't turn up, do you just hope the connect group leader will make that conversation or will you contact that person and find out how they're going? If you haven't seen someone at church, if you, haven't, if you know someone is spiritually struggling, do you just hope someone else, like a staff member, will make that pastoral con- contact or will you invest in it? Because actually what Paul's describing here is, is that kind of bearing. I mean, he does have a role, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, for you know, people set aside to do word ministry. But right now, he's just talking about us as a church globally. Bear one another's burdens. Bear the burdens of the fellowship of believers. And bear it not just to the extent of their material needs, but their deeper, more profound spiritual needs. That's what Paul's calling us to do. If you see someone caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Gently, of course. But you should. Now, I understand why we find this really hard, actually, that last step. I understand why we find it hard. And it's because of exactly where we live and the mindset which we all, we all bear in some way, shape, or form. See, spirituality is primarily a private thing. It primarily is. You believe what you want, and I'll believe what we want, and to the extent that we overlap, that's great. That's the thing that we will bond over. But I'll leave you to work it out. In that culture, it's very hard to go to the spiritual welfare of one another. It's very hard to do it. What's more, we live in this this age which Don Carson called an age... Intolerant, uh, where tolerance is the new intolerance. Don Carson, a Canadian writer, writes this. He says, Now tolerance means that you must not say that anybody is wrong. You have to say that all positions are equally valid. Now, I mean, that's, part, that's true just in terms of objective spiritual truth, but I think it seeps into the way that we care for each other too, right? You know, just 
to even identify someone who's caught in sin runs completely counter to that mindset. And it does seep into and it makes it hard. And so that conversation or that relationship or the time that it takes to help someone navigate that season of their life is just too costly. It runs, there's too much at risk. There's too much at risk, so we just leave it behind. It's safer just to meet the physical, material needs of someone than to take a deep, longing interest in the spiritual needs of our family of believers. And yet that is exactly, that's exactly what Paul's calling us to do. He's calling us to invest in our local church. He's calling the Galatians to do it. He's calling us to do it at that kind of level. You know, we, we say in our vision statement, we long to be a church made beautiful. Of course, that's not physical beauty. That's beyond some of us. We're talking about deep, spiritual, long-lasting, eternal beauty. That only comes when we're a fellowship that does this, carries these kind of burdens for each other, seeking to gently restore one another when the need arises. Paul is calling people to invest in the church like that. Now, given what that challenge is, why would you do that? Why would you do it? Why would you, why would you invest like that? When there's a, It seems like there's a lot to lose. Well, Paul answers that in verses 7 through to 10 or thereabouts by referring to what I think is a kind of a utilitarian principle, as in this just works and therefore it's worth it, but also a deeper, more existential identity principle. So first of all, he, he cites this, this kind of maxim. He says in verse 7, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Why is it worth why is it worth carrying not just the, the physical burdens but the spiritual burdens? Because ultimately, what you sow is what you reap. Uh, my daughter Harriet has been into this ABC um, podcast about gardening. And so she's got a green thumb about gardening. So we got her, like we set up a little gardening patch for her birthday. We bought her little um, tomato seedlings and capsicum seedlings and strawberry seedlings. And she's planted them. Well, our family actually has gone and got into gardening over the kind of lockdown. And so I've been hacking away at bushes. I've, I've realised weeds are easier to grow than fruit. Particularly camphor laurels, those things, I've never encountered them before, but here on the North Shore, they ravage the place. And you can cut that thing down, and within two weeks, it's back up again. I just wish that you could plant a camphor laurel and get a tomato. That would make gardening so much easier. You just put the camphor laurel in, you'd forget about it, two weeks later... There'd be these juicy red tomatoes, and then you'd hack it away, and two weeks later, we'd be back again. But that's not how it works, is it? What you plant is what you reap. And it's such a basic, basic principle. Paul says that is the principle at play. That is why you invest in God's family of believers. That's why you invest in it. Because when you pour into the spiritual things in your life, you reap spiritual benefit. Do you want to be spiritually vitalized, Paul says? Well, then you need to feed yourself from the source of spiritual vitality, which is the Spirit and his people. Do you want to be shaped by the gospel? 
Well, then you need to invest in what the gospel is building, which is the community of believers. This works, Paul says. It takes time, but his assurance is, as you feed yourself with spiritual nourishment, so you will grow spiritually, spiritually vitalized. But of course, if you feed yourself with nourishment from the flesh, from the things of this world, they are the only things that will ever grow. Do not expect yourself to grow spiritually if the thing that you invest in is purely something of this world, says Paul. There's just a utilitarian reason for why we invest. But at a deeper existential level, he says, we invest in the family of believers because it's reflective of who we are. Look at the language that Paul uses in our reading. Verse 1, verse 10, and verse 18. Brothers and sisters, he says, if someone is caught in sin, he goes on. Verse 10, he says, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And then he finishes this whole section and the letter with a reference again to brothers and sisters. He's very deliberate about the language here in this section. He's talking about God's church. He's talking about the need for the Galatians to recenter, rethink, reshape their understanding of their, their community of faith. But the language he uses, consistency, is language of family. Brothers and sisters, family of believers, brothers and sisters. And he's picking up, of course, if you've been with us through this series, what Paul was talking about in Galatians 3, about the great work of the gospel, which is adopting us into God's family. We invest in the church because it's the great family that God is creating. There is actually no other group that's like that. I've said this before, I'll say it again. There are all these groups that we're involved in. Sports groups, PNC groups, not-for-profit groups, work groups. They're all great, don't get me wrong. They all have value and purpose and God is glorified in and through them. You have places to serve God in the midst of those. But they are actually categorically different to the church. The church is wholly other. And the reason we commit to the church is it is like no other. You see, the local church is not just another organisation. It is your spiritual family. And it's that understanding that underpins why Paul is so, so strong on this point. Why he can open with this line and call us to such a deep sense of commitment to this group of people who we would otherwise not know. Because God in the gospel is creating a new family which transcends the bonds of other families or other associations. It is not built on our common, uh, common likes and dislikes, our, demog- our demographics or, our, or uh, even just our location, our geography. It is something that's built on something much more profound. So we're called to invest in this. Now, I don't know about you, but it feels like... There's a lot of reasons to not do it. And yet, lots of people throw themselves into church. And I want to encourage you to do it because it is, it's a joyful experience. I, I used to always have, I had this guy who used to lead the service in my old church. He, every time he got up, he'd say, there's no better place to be on a Sunday. It's true if this is how you understand the gathering of God's people. And yet, you know what's really interesting about this, this little section in Galatians? Though Paul's clear application is bear one another's burdens, you know, meet the spiritual needs of people, the, 
the, clear, the warning actually that comes out of this is not to people who don't do that. The warning is actually to the people who do exactly what he's asking them to do. You notice this? Verse 1, he says, you know, if you see someone caught in sin, restore them gently. And the very next thing he says is, watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. In fact, he then goes on through that little section, verses 1 to 6, to warn not the people who are failing to bear burdens, but the people who are actually bearing burdens. He warns them. He warns them about becoming too aware of what other people think. He warns them about comparison. He warns them about self-righteousness. It's because the church community is while the, one of the, probably the most beautiful community you, you can encounter, it's also the most spiritually dangerous community. Because you can make the error of kind of going off and saying, I'm not gonna, I can't do the spiritual thing because I'm worried what people will think of me if I kind of speak into that space. That's a, that's a fear of approval, right, or lack of. But you can also throw yourself into the church life for the sake of approval. You can be here. You can pour your energies because you just need to be needed. You need to be seen to serve. And it's interesting. You can be doing exactly what Paul's doing, but be at the edge of destruction. That's his great warning, actually, in this passage. Watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. It's almost like he's saying, I want you to do this thing, but the line between doing it and not doing it is so thin, you can fall over the edge so quickly. That's a, that's a constant challenge for being part of God's church. Am I doing it for the right reasons? And almost as a balance, actually, to what Paul says in verse 2, carry one another's burdens, he says in verse 5 this, each one should carry their own load. Because actually, you know, it's tempting to think that you're the saviour of other people. But there are some loads... It's a different word, burden and load, not just in English, actually in Greek. They're different words that Paul's using. Because there are some loads that you can't carry. And actually, in the gospel, you're not meant to carry. That's not the purpose of this gathering. John Stott, who I've been reading as I've been preparing for these sermons, write this. He says, there is one burden that we cannot share, and that is our responsibility to God on the day of judgment. I cannot carry your load and you cannot carry mine. And I think this is a profoundly important thing to hear. It's important, obviously, for all of us, but particularly, actually, I think, for those of us who do invest so richly in God's church. There are some burdens that you cannot carry. And actually, the freedom of the gospel, the joy of the gospel, and the joy of Christian community is exactly that. You're not expected to carry that load. You're not expected to carry that load. In fact, you know what the hallmark of a really healthy church is? It is not the pastoral care system. Although pretty much every time I meet someone, not every time, but many times when I meet someone who's new to a church, they'll ask me what the pastoral care system is. That is not the hallmark of a healthy church. I mean, sorry, that's not the primary hallmark of a healthy church. The primary hallmark of a healthy church is do they believe the gospel? Do they get taught the gospel? That's why Paul will actually say, share all good things with the instructor of the word. 
It's not because he's trying to establish some kind of means of being provided for himself because he actually doesn't take that sharing in his own ministry. No, no, it's because the instructor of the word brings the gospel into this community. It's actually a sign not of the importance of the instructor but of the word that they're bringing, the gospel. See, the hallmark of a healthy church is whether they believe the gospel. Does it shape them? And so Paul, as he finishes this letter, which is all about defending God's great message, the gospel, finishes with the gospel. And so in verse 14 he says this, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And this gospel is the key. It's the thing that unlocks the way you relate to people. He says, extraordinary, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the gospel, that you get to boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. When I was a a high school student, I played cricket at school with this guy who was extraordinarily well-talented. Like He he was well above any of us. Every time he'd go out to play, he, he would always succeed. From like very young, 13, 14 years old, and his dad was so proud of him. Although, as, it, as he grew up, it became apparent that he was weirdly proud of him. He was like over-invested in the success of his son. When his son succeeded, you could see it was like his own personal ego was so filled from that moment. He got an unusual level of, of joy and pride from that. And you know when you meet a parent like that, that that's... that's illegitimate isn't it that's not the job of a parent your child's job is not to provide you with something that you can personally boast about they can't do that and it's not fair to put that on them that their activity might give you your sense of self-worth but you see in the gospel that is what jesus is actually offering you he's saying you get to boast in what i have done You get to get your sense of self-worth from what I've done. That's not illegitimate, actually. My cross, my act of great sacrifice and love, my act of righteousness, my life of complete faithfulness can be your great boast. I get to boast in the cross of Jesus Christ, says Paul. That is the gospel. I get to genuinely get my sense of self-worth and value from that. That is not illegitimate. That's the very thing that Christ came to do. The very thing he came to do was that you might boast in his work, no longer needing to rely on your own. That is the gospel. And you see, Paul then just takes that line and he works it through and it really does impact the way he relates to people. He says, because of that, the world has been crucified to me. In other words, he says, the world has no power over me. Not that it doesn't matter, but it has no power over me. I am not ruled by the approval of people. And you can see how that would be so valuable if you want to be someone who is there to carry the full burden of those around you. He he says, you are not ruled by the approval of others. You can speak the truth to people with confidence. The world has no power over you. But then he goes on to say, and I to the world. And I to the world. In other words, I have no power over the world either. I have been crucified. I am nothing too, says Paul. The great 
set himself up at the start as the apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, but he has been crucified to the world too. He is nothing because, of course, the cross flattens the ground. It brings us all to the same level. And so the deeper we appreciate the gospel, the deeper we appreciate the gospel, we get the confidence and the humility to encounter people, to bear their burdens, but to understand that ultimately there is a load that only God can carry and to find the freedom of that truth. As we finish Galatians, let me encourage us again. It's been a great couple of months reflecting on the impact of the gospel in our own lives personally, but let us bring that to bear in our life as a church as well. Let me pray for us and then the team are going to lead us in song. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the wonderful message of the gospel, which is that Christ's work can be our boast, that we can have our sense of our worth and, and, and our sense of personal value established because of Christ's work for us. And as we gaze on what Jesus has done for us, would you give us confidence to lovingly care for those around us and humility to do it gently, humility to do it gently, so that Lord Jesus will be glorified in the midst of our church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.